Coming up on Money Beats Friday, food fight. Uh, it is a literal food fight as Mondelese tries to buy Hershey. And we will recap a crazy week in the markets. This is Money Beats. Everything you need to know about money and the markets and then some. Now, financial food fight. Welcome to the Friday Food Fight here at Money Beat Headquarters. Paul Vini, Stephen Grosser in the studio with you. Uh, today, today on the Food Fight, today actually we're going to talk about uh, a literal food fight, just about, right, Steve Grosser? Yes, and we're bringing in two uh, prize winning journalists. To Loeb Award winners. Welcome Loeb Award winners, Dave Benoit, Dana Mattioli. Con- First off, congratulations on the award this week. And the, and the award matters to us. Yes. Thanks, it guys. It matters a lot. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. And, and, it's, and, 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 it's, and it's apropos because you guys, you know, today we have a big deal, an exciting deal. Mondeley is going after Hershey. He wasn't actually today. It was yesterday. But... You know, you guys won the uh, the lobe for the Dupont. Um, you know, the sort Dupont of Dow breaking news, right? Yeah, yeah. And now um, breaking more news in the deal world, and this you either is either get chemicals or get chocolate. I guess we could mix and match those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is one of the more colorful M and A deals we'll see. I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, explain to us exactly what's going on here and why this one is so contentious, I mean, for lack of a better word. So Mondelez, which was part of Kraft, made an unsolicited $23 billion bid for Hershey. Hershey obviously makes Hershey Kisses and brand names that everyone knows. The wrinkle that's different here is that Hershey has a very um, prominent trust that controls the company, has 81% of the voting power and can veto deals like they have in the past. So the jury is out on what the trust does. And, uh, you know, yesterday Hershey's board rejected the deal just a few hours after we broke the story. Yeah. But we absolutely do not think that that is where the story is ending, do we? No, that's usually the first step in yeah. an unsolicited you know, M&A 101. Yeah. You come out, you reject the bid, you say it's a low premium. In this case, it really was a low premium. It was about 10%. And, let, and let's remember, this is, you know, uh, Mondelez is run by Irene Rosenfeld, who, uh, when she was CEO of Kraft, outlasted Cadbury. I mean, and that, back in 2009, was an extraordinarily contentious uh, deal for another chocolate maker. Outlasted Hershey for Cadbury, right? Didn't Hershey get in on that bidding at one point? I don't. I don't. Kind think, of a madness. I yeah, I mean, I think they were they were circling it, but I don't think they actually officially okay. made um, you know any offer or topping offer. They might have. That that would be a. I need to go back. And remember uh, to my uh, clip. You know, so <laughs> why do all these snacky food type beveragey companies do? It seems like they're always splitting up and buying somebody and trying to buy. I mean, why is this one little weird sector of the capital markets so rife with this? You know, we've also seen a lot of consolidation at the grocery stores. So the grocery stores have more leverage. So mm-hmm. what happens? They could, you know, pressure you on price. But if you get bigger, you have more clout at the supermarket, too. So I think it's also in reaction to some of the trends in where they're selling. There's places like Amazon that are undercutting on prices. They're increasingly including food into their offerings. So I think that comes into play. Yeah. And, and one of the interesting things about this deal is is uh, Mondelez owns Cadbury. Right? We just right. talked about they bought that for $19 billion. Uh, Cadbury has a huge international presence in selling chocolate. 
but the Cadbury you buy here in the U.S. is actually sold by Hershey under, under a licensing deal. So Mondelez has like zero U.S. presence in chocolate sales, and Hershey has about zero international presence. So what, bringing these things together makes a little sense if you're trying to draw, you know, a world of chocolate. Now there are two things that struck me as very interesting about this deal, and anyway, you guys can talk further. Uh, um, first, when Mondelez was spun out or Craft and Mondelez split. Um, the idea was Mondelez was going to be the international fast-growing company. Now they're buying, as you said, Hershey for a decent, or would want, are trying to buy Hershey, which has zero international presence or very little international presence. And then the other thing is, this, you know, Mondelez is under a great deal of pressure from activists. Ackman being, uh, you know, prime, you know, the primary guy now. But you know, Nelson Peltz has also been there a long time. And he's one of their, on the board, Peltz. Yeah, he, he has a seat on the board. One of the big complaints that they've had with Mondelez is the number of brands and like shrinking down their brands. Right, right. So essentially, th- th- that's the other super interesting wrinkle here is a lot of people. Uh, have been viewing Mondelez as a as a target, not necessarily someone that's going to buy something. Um, so, right, Bill Ackman took a big position. He's now at about five point six percent, which is towards the top of the shareholder register. Tryon and Nelson Peltz have about three percent, and Try and Peltz is on the board. Um, everyone, there's been a lot of pressure around Mondelez to cut costs, and that's and, and sort of simplify things. Uh, and and the the they're always held up and compared to. The Brazilian billionaires at 3G, which now own the other half of Kraft and Kraft Heinz, and there's been a lot of speculation, uh, including Ackman, sort of pushing that this is this is what they should be trying to do. They should try try and cut costs and run an organization as lean as 3G does it, or they're going to get bought by Kraft Heinz and put the whole thing back together again. Although, although, although Warren Buffett has shot that deal down, uh, he shot it down in timing. I'm not sure he oh. shot it down in essence. I don't. I yeah. Well, you know, he he wasn't. He was not a fan right after Ackman, um, you know, made his comments. I, I think Warren Buffett probably reacts a little bit every time Bill Ackman suggests something Warren Buffett wants to do, which yeah. maybe is not the best <laughs> yeah, thing he be should true. be doing. Um, it's also interesting that um, you know when Irene went after Cadbury, the Brits hated the idea of their like esteemed. British chocolate company being owned by the Americans who are not known for great chocolate. And the idea of bringing Hershey and Cadbury together where, you know, Europeans really just do not like Hershey. They think of it as an inferior chocolate. That's sort of interesting, too. How dare they? How (laughs) dare they disparage the pride of Pennsylvania? The other thing, getting back Brits. to the, the sort of activists, was like there, we had the story back in December, the leader about Irene dealing with activists, and Nelson Peltz basically tells the anecdote is Nelson Peltz's grandchildren came in from I think it was Halloween or and didn't eat any of their candy, and he like you know reaches out to Irene's like they don't eat candy anymore, no no kids are eating candy, so it, it's sort of a interesting dynamic that now Mondelez is buying more candy. I mean. That's for sure. There, there is some definite intrigue about what's really going on behind the scenes, right? There is some speculation. Uh, Miriam Gottfried on the herd today wrote about like, well, actually, is this Mondelez actually trying to play defense? Because yeah, if no. they if they buy and swallow up Hershey, no one's going to come buy Mondelez. Like it's now too big, essentially. Um, and that 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 seems that sort of seems like right, you know? Sure, sure. But the other the other way to look at this is like, uh, is Mondelez actually now in play? Did they just 
kind of raised the flag of, hey, we're going to do this. If you don't buy us now, we're going to get there first. And uh, we also talked in, in the story today about Hershey's now essentially in play again. Who's going to come bid for that? They've got a partnership with Nestle to sell the Kit Kat brand um, that sort of goes away if Nestle doesn't buy them. Can, can we can we talk for a second about something as simple as just the names of these companies involved? Mm-hmm. Mondelez. Mondelez. So Mondelez, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Kraft splits off the company in two. One keeps the Kraft name. One gets this new weird name that no one had ever heard or seen yep. before, Mondelez. It was, uh, it was uh, what, a pairing of two employee suggestions or something. Internationally delicious, I believe, is what it means. The root is it really? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. So, so Mondelez wants to buy Hershey. Hershey is is clearly a great corporate name, right? Huge recognition. Everyone knows it. You know, um, do the names? Do just the names play into this whole deal? Well, Mondelez says they'll take the Hershey name if this were yeah. to come to fruition. Um, we know we had a story today out of the, the corporate group about the marketing. Um, side of this, and this is sort of like acknowledging that the Mondelez brand doesn't really work as a name, and right. there was some criticism at, of it at the time. So it's sort of rare Nelson to Peltz see. Nelson says it sounds like a disease, and this is a board member. So I think I'd agree like with a, Nelson Peltz. A disease. <laughs> I've got a bad case of Mondelez. <laughs> Take some Hershey's for that. Yeah. Chocolate, but really it is the, a holding company of Oreo cookies and some of the yeah. like, most iconic right. snacks you you can think of. Nut, what we were saying, Nutter Butter yesterday. Yeah. Oreos, Ritz crackers. Ritz crackers. Yeah, it's, if, if if you go down the the candy aisle of your grocery store and look on the labels, you will be shocked at how many are owned by Mondelez. It's really iconic. You'll be brands. really really surprised. All right, so before we let you guys go, what do we look for next in this story? What, what is the next step that gets taken here? Well, uh, I guess the offer has been officially rejected, so I think we should expect to see. Who knows when this will be public, but Mondelez will probably make another approach. Yeah. Try to try to do something else. Well, the question really comes down to is how much can Mondelez do if it doesn't get Hershey Trust on board? I mean, they have 81%, right, of the voting? The voting power. And not only that, the Hershey's Trust is regulated by the Pennsylvania AG, and the AG has the power to shoot down, I believe, any deal if they don't think it is in the best interest of the community or Pennsylvania. And you have to remember that this is a brand that is so important to that state. It it was started by Milton Hershey. He was very philanthropic, and he gave the profits pretty much back to that that town. He started a school for orphans and disadvantaged people, you know, all these civic activities. So it is front and center in in Pennsylvania. I mean, the town was essentially built by him, wasn't it? It was. He I built mean, zoos banks. and banks and department yeah. stores. So it's, it, it's more than just a company. Yeah. That's why it actually matters that Mondelez is saying things like, we're going to base the company in Hershey. We're going to name it Hershey. They're saying they're going to protect jobs. Those are hard promises to, to give right. and to keep. Right. But um, that's that's why those things are being said. All right. Let's, uh, we're going to wrap it there. These two folks, they're, they're even on the Friday before a long weekend, these two folks are busy. You've got a lot of things to do, so we'll let you get back to it. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with Jack Otter and Chuck Jaffe. 
I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to The Food Fight. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser. Uh, we let the M&A reporters go, and we have brought in our dear friends, Jack Otter from Barron's, Chuck Jaffe from Market Watch. Gentlemen, how are you? Well, thank you. You're well. You've survived this uh, really kind of extremely unusual week. Let's put it that way. Uh, Jack, you were moving, so I don't know how much of this you, you missed or didn't miss. I heard something, you might have heard something about Britain having some big vote. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. They, they, had, a, they had a vote. <laughs> uh, um, actually, what I heard was that the dog caught the car. That, to me, was the best analysis of Brexit. Tom Friedman said the dog just caught the car. (laughs) You know, I think the most amazing thing, it's funny, too, because we're so focused on the U.S. stock market. Uh, If you look at the U.S. stock market, it it almost looks like nothing happened. Today, Friday afternoon, from a week ago, it almost looks like nothing happened. The market timers make this point all the time. What if you tried to time the market? You would have either... Well, well, you know, you would have probably sold as everything was crashing, and then it just came back way too fast to grab. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the rebound from Brexit, you know, given all the concern, I think everyone was feeling on Friday, it was pretty startling. Right. It, again, in the stock market, in yeah. the U.S. stock market. Not in the but U.S. market me, for <laughs> treasuries. No. <laughs> but tell me you didn't see this coming. I mean, a week ago when we were talking about this, if you had polled the group that was there and said, where do you think the market's going to be in a week? And had given them five choices, and the five choices are, you know, up sharply, up a little, flat, down a little, down sharply. I think everybody would have skewed towards the middle. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I did not expect this rebound, but I did not, you know, expect this to be, you know, a huge slide for weeks right. and weeks. I mean, well, the, question, the question is really when is – if this is going to be a, a true market event, if this is going to trigger something bigger, which is what everybody worries about, the question is when exactly is that going to happen? How much fallout do we have to see before that happens? And, you know, you can't say, oh, it will affect the earnings picture for the second quarter because it wasn't there long enough. So it's somewhere and the, down the, the, the line. The earnings picture for the second quarter doesn't need any more problems than it already has. Well, that may be. And maybe, maybe it will affect it from the standpoint that folks will say, wow, if the second quarter was this way, look at potential problems from the Brexit and what's coming, and I can't see anything getting better. Maybe that'll be part of what triggers some sort of a market downturn and a correction or what have you. But, you know, the interesting thing to me, talking to – a number of value managers for my show is that they still can't find anything. They were kind of hoping, like, come on, give us something that we can buy. We're ready to go. And even in the action that they got, they didn't feel it was enough to turn very much into buyable stuff. They still think everything's overvalued. Uh, Chuck, I've got a question for you on that. So value has lagged growth for so long. The discrepancy is huge. So why aren't they finding low price to book stocks they like? Is it the prices are too high or the growth is too lousy or what? Well, it's a little of both. And 
you also have to recognize that this year, up until recently, you sort of had value actually taking the lead. Right, right. So you had that nice little turnaround. I think the problem is that if you're, it, it sort of depends on what your metrics are. If your value, meaning your really growth at a reasonable price, then you can say, okay, I can find some things that are reasonably priced and there was some growth, I can do okay. If you are deep value, like I'm looking for stuff and I want to be buying things that are 50 cents on the dollar, you're not getting there and you're not being able to buy good quality dividends, certainly on the cheap, because everybody wants yield. So pick your favorite dividend stocks, even the ones that were deservedly beaten down. There was a period where, for example, Johnson & Johnson, I think I'd gone years where any time that stock had come up, everybody was always, oh, yeah, it's Johnson & Johnson, go buy it. And then we went through a period where the company was having some problems and people were saying, no, sell. Then you got the value guys going, buy Johnson & Johnson, and now the value guys are again going, no, 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 it's, way, it's bid up, can't do it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you guys this. What here's here's and I'm going to frame it. I'm not just going. Here's the question: Like, what changed from last Friday to this Friday? Right? The the vote in Britain went through. They voted leave. Uh, the question is, will they ever actually do it? The, the other thing, though, that I think the big thing that, that that changed is, you had a lot of central bankers come out in the last week and make a lot of statements to in support of. The market keeping things stable. Uh, you had Mario Draghi come out and talk about coordinated policy. You have the Italian government; they're not the ECB. You know, you have the Italian government talking about supporting the banks over there. You have Mark Carney from the Bank of England talking about a rate cut. I mean, you had a lot of central bank action, ex- in my opinion, expressly designed to sort of calm the markets. Worked worked well in the stock market. Did not work in the bond market. Did not work for the British pound. So my real question is, where? My real question is, what should I be paying attention to? What's telling me the truth here? I mean, one question I have is, I don't know how much the central bankers like played a huge role in this. I mean, they definitely played a role. There's still a lot of questions about when they're going to get in. I mean, is is the Bank of England going to, you know, sort of sit there until September? I mean, Carney was sort of suggesting they could go earlier. Um, when's the ECB? I mean, like, this, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of questions about the yeah, central bankers. But, but well, y- hold on, Paul. Y- you know how well jawboning works in but, the short hold, term. But, but it's actually, stop, you know, it's begun to work less and less. The other question, though, I have is this was like, and we wrote significantly about this, is how much the markets really got this wrong, how investors got this wrong. And so, of course, like, I mean, you know, the pound was at its highest point at the end of the day Thursday, like highest. Right. So you, Before like, the votes yeah, were counted. I mean, right. you know, this is like, the, so that's what I think also played into the huge market swing was everyone just sort of lining up on they're going to remain and they were, you know, sort of shocked. Well, if you, use, if you use the AAII sentiment survey, which we've talked about on the podcast in the past, as something of a proxy for individual investors, here's, here's the four headlines from the last four weeks with the release of it. June 9th, pessimism falls to six-week low. June 16th, pessimism jumps to a four-month high, right? Mm-hmm. Then we get to June the 23rd, so right around Brexit time, Optimism falls to a four-week low, and now, this week, optimism is back to a four-month high. Yeah, so what you have is everybody being emotionally whipsawed. It's not that big a surprise that the market, you know, takes a little round trip with it. Where was a neutral reading in there, too? 
the the neutral reading on the most current. Yeah, I have to. It was some. It, it wasn't. It, they, you know, neutral has been running particularly high. Uh, neutral is. It fell a little bit. Fell five points. Five percentage points. Okay. So it does remain neutral sentiment is above the historic average, yeah. which is normally about like, 30 percent, 31 percent. Because it hit 50 like just a couple of weeks ago, which was right. sort of surprising. To Stephen Grosher's point that the markets got this wrong, I think a key reason is that this was really more of a social vote than yeah. an economic vote. Mm-hmm. And that brings up interesting issues for the market because it suggests Donald Trump maybe has a greater chance than the polls might give him. Uh, what other nations could see similar movements and what kind of effect will that have? I mean, is it the Arab Spring now moving on to developed countries and, and how will that affect markets in the future? I think that's a really interesting question and will affect us much more than in the second half, I mean, for the next decade. But I think it's going to go the opposite way to that. I I think, if anything, you know, ironically, (laughs) Trump's best chance may have gone out the window with the Brexit. Well, there is evidence for that. Australia. You know, so, so that you've got a situation now where, you know, okay, we may love the throw the bum out kind of sentiment and let's all go for change. But when you sort of see the remorse that is happening at some levels in Great Britain, what you've got now is Wall Street folks that I'm talking to going, no, they actually think this reduces the chances of Trump. They think it will benefit the market, at least because it reduces uncertainty of what's happening here. Yeah. I also thought that Spain was interesting that weekend. On Sunday, they voted, and they voted surprisingly to keep the the two parties, essentially, that had dominated Spanish politics for several decades now, um, you know, claimed the most seats. Far more right. than expected. Well, Which backs I, up Chuck's point. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why. I mean, British politics right now are in total chaos. But I think that's part of the reason why people are also starting to say, you know what? When the dust settles, they're never even going to go through with it. Whether it happens or not is another thing, and they'll have to deal with the public outcry if they don't. But I mean, you can make an argument that even though this referendum vote went through because it's non-binding, British politicians are not going to go through with it at the end of the day. We'll see. You know. I'm just saying that there are voices out there saying that. Anyhow, let's uh, let's wrap on that note. Gentlemen, I want to thank you. I want everyone to have a very happy, very long, and very safe 4th of July weekend, and we will talk to you next week.